Hello! Please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is... Eh, nothing. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas in space, the reboot, now. And I am Thomas Mariani. Not the 1992 Thomas Mariani, but the 2018 Thomas Mariani. I know it's a bit confusing. To Those titles are very similar. But, but you're very polished now. Oh, I'm very polished. And I'm not um, a reboot or a remake. I'm a reimagining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the one I like. Or retooling. Or, or My, my or, favorite yeah, yeah, yeah. was uh, the when that one Halloween movie was in production and they called it a recalibration. Oh, what the fuck? That was one of my favorite <laughs> dumb conceits yep. there. And uh, laughing in the corner over there is uh, the original, non-remade, still pristine, Scott Crawford. Scott, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm glad there's only one. Oh, no. Scott Crawford remake so announced. Oh, no. <laughs> Kill it while it's breathing. Uh, but, yes, in case you couldn't tell, our discussion for our final October episode... Uh, it's it's gone by so fast. Our various horror-themed episodes, our last one, because we're literally releasing this, if all things go well, the week and even day before Halloween. So, happy Halloween, everybody, first off. We should definitely say that. It's happy Halloween! Yes, and uh, we are doing horror remakes, which um, is... You know, obviously a point of contention for a lot of horror fans, obviously. You know, oh man, a classic movie's being remade. Uh, you can't touch it, how can you? And most times that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. But there are yep. some fucking gems, man. Yes, whether it be remakes of movies that had good ideas but didn't quite succeed at it, or even really good original movies and they just kind of sidestep and do their own thing with the premise, um, which, you know, happens more often than some people would like to credit. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agree. And of course, we are doing this episode on horror remakes in honor of this very week. The Suspiria remake is coming out. Um, and for those of you who don't know, this is your first listening, perhaps, of the show. We're sorry. And two, um, <laughs> we, what we do every week is Adam and I come to the table with two movies each, based generally around the topic. We don't know what the other person's picked. Um, and we assign both of our movies to a number between 1 and 10. And then usually one of us would pick a number between 1 and 10 for each the other person's picks. And whichever one gets closer to the number assigned by the other person, we do for both a good and a bad feature. This week, Adam has the two good movies, and I have the two bad ones. Uh, but when we have a guest like Scott, who was on our previous episode about Sam Raimi, we like to have them go ahead and uh, point their fingers and do an eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Uh, so, Scott, for his two good movies, number between 1 and 10. Let's go with lucky number seven. Okay, at number eight, I have The Crazies. Oh, wow, hmm. okay, that's an underrated one. I yeah. absolutely agree. And my other pick was The Maniac with Elijah Wood. 
Ooh. Oh. Also underrated, I would say. I think so. Apparently Scott disagrees with that, but... Oh, I, I think that movie is amazing. Well, all right, then. <laughs> <laughs> After an episode of Disagreement, Adam's just in shock with our same Raimi episode. Yeah, right, I know. Yes, uh, but, but now, Scott, the two bad ones I got. Go ahead. All right, let's go with number nine. All right, then. At number ten... Uh, pretty relevant ones, considering another remake came out recently, is the 1999 remake of The Haunting. Um, uh, oh, no. <laughs> yep, uh, starring Liam <laughs> Neeson, Darkman himself. Uh, <laughs> you had to pick yes. one of the most boring and worst ones. And then at number three, I had the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh God! Thank God we got the haunting. <laughs> yep. Oh, man, there's a lot more there's to talk way about. More to talk about, yeah. Yep. Yeah. There, there's a lot more to talk about with the haunting, and also relevant, like I said, because uh, Haunting on Hill House recently came out on Netflix. I see what you did there. Yeah, you gotta get that SEO, Adam. You gotta make it work. Yeah. Come on, you gotta do something. Never. Before we go, thanks to Scott for doing our pick in here. Scott, brief plugs for you. Uh yeah, just check us out at the podcast by the cemetery. Uh, you can check our Facebook group out. We're part of the Legion Podcast Network, so uh, you can go to legionpodcast.com and you can find us there, and that's where all of our episodes get uploaded to. So, yeah, just check us out. Uh, hope you guys enjoy, and, yeah, thank you guys very much for having me on the show. This was a blast. Yeah, a Absolutely. lot of fun. Yes. But um, now we've got our spooktacular double feature and a new guest coming right after this. Hey, Ben. On February 26th, Love Thy Neighbor. What's that doing? Everybody's going nuts. Fear Thy Neighbor. The Crazies, rated R. Just go away, please. Starts February 26th. And we are back, having seen our double feature, and we have a new ghost host for the evening. Um, you might have heard him on several different other podcasts, and he is our buddy up to the north, the great white north, Shaquille Lambert. Shaquille, how are you this evening? Hey, I'm doing good, man. It feels good to talk to you guys. But, you know, Shaquille, I invited you onto the show, and the way that we do this with guests is usually we give them a list of, like, upcoming topics, and you immediately went for horror remakes. I wanted to ask, why horror remakes in particular? Honestly, I feel like, as a child of the 2000s, <laughs> uh, I'm used to my fair share of horror remakes. I feel like they get kind of an unfair due, because I know that a lot of them are just kind of dismissed because they're just glossier versions of already classic films but i feel like there's some merit to a lot of them actually some classics are pretty fucking dated <laughs> and i feel like a, a fresher coat of paint does sometimes work wonders and there's sometimes where it goes horribly wrong <laughs> it's more hit or miss than people give it credit for but yeah when exactly it sucks, yeah, but i feel like so i'm hard. more fair i'm i feel like i'm fairer towards them th more than most. Oh, no, I am too. I'm a huge fan of horror remakes uh, for the most part because when they work, they really work. But the problem is, you know, for every Dawn of the Dead you get or something like that, you get a Nightmare on Elm Street, which is just a soulless bland, doesn't need to happen. Exactly. Or the Stepfather or something like that. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Some of the movies that don't need to be remade in the first place. Exactly. Like, remember right. Prom Night? 
Uh, but you know, you gotta pick the right kind of film to remake, and we'll start here with The Crazies from 2010, our good feature, and before we get into that feature, we should definitely talk about the original, which Shaquille, just for the record, is the control for our experiment, because Shaquille has not seen the original films of either of our two remakes, Dude, correct? I'm going, yeah, I went in completely clean, blank slate everything. Right, but I know Adam and I have seen the original Crazies, which was from 1973, made by George A. Romero. It's interesting, we started this October spooktacular month with um, Diary of the Dead, and we're talking about a remake. Ooh, God! (laughs) Listen to that episode, a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, the, The Crazies from 1973 was a movie that he made in between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Having seen it, like, last year around the time that he passed away, I think you and I can agree, Adam, that it's not necessarily a bad movie, but it's the perfect kind of movie to remake because it's a really cool idea that didn't quite accomplish. Oh, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. The budget restraints on that movie alone, you know, like, oh, boy, does it show. But um, idea-wise, totally cool idea, totally, you know, not wholly original, but a really cool take on an epidemic movie and, you know, who can you trust type movie and government oppression and whatnot. But due to the budget restraints and, I mean, it just, nah. And it was, it, it felt like a second feature. You know what I mean? No, yeah, I mean, it wasn't technically a second feature because it was also like Season of the Witch and, what is it, It's Always Vanilla? <laughs> Whatever the fuck oh that was. God. It's this <laughs> weird, like, romantic movie he did. <laughs> You have it wait, 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 wait. Did George A. Romero really make him a romantic movie? Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> to be fair, he also did a documentary about O.J. Simpson called The Juice is Loose, so... <laughs> he also did a movie called Night Riders with Ed Harrison full night regalia on motorcycles, and they were jousting. It's a oh, weird, like, God. LARPing movie with, like, Ed Harris, yeah. It's it's, yeah. <laughs> it's people on the Renaissance Fair in on motorcycles. It's weird. It's yeah, really something. weird. Uh, but anyway, um, The Crazies is, yeah, like you mentioned, I think it's not just the budgetary stuff, though, too. I would also say it's, like, the focus is weird in that movie, where it's kind of focused on the sort of main characters we get in the remake, but also on, like, the scientists, and that stuff's kind of weird. Um, it, it just feels very much like it has a lot of ideas, but doesn't know how to coalesce them. Versus The Crazies, from 2010, sort of took a lot of those ideas and fine-tuned it into... I think we would agree a much better film. The remake took all those ideas, like you said, and sort of amped them all up to 11, the ones that they decided to keep. Right. They made it basically, I mean, it's kind of an action horror movie. Yes. Yeah. It's, the, the, that's the vibe that I got from it. Yeah. It feels a lot more like an action thriller as opposed to a just straight up horror film. But like it's when it does lead into more of the horror trappings, it is, creepy as shit (laughs) it's dark yeah i think it's a far better movie and like we've talked about before thomas either off and on mike this is the type of movie that deserves a remake you know the original crazies was ripe for a remake it works because the first one didn't land so great but there was good ideas in it so why not take another stab at it and update it and you know with modern technology even or just you know, another pass at the script or better actors or anything. And to me, it worked, man. I mean, it worked really, really well. I, I fucking love this movie. Yeah, and we should, of course, credit uh, director Breck Eisner for this, who uh, previously did Sahara 
and thought crimes, um, but is also the son of Michael Eisner, the guy who ran Disney in, like, the 80s and 90s. Breck Eisner also deserves a lot of credit for basically being, like, the sounding board for a lot of the stuff that would happen in, like, the 80s and 90s for Disney. Like, Michael Eisner would literally go to his son about, like, hey, is this ride cool? It's like, yeah, but I want something kind of scary. It's like, do Alien Encounter! Do it, Disney Imagineers! Because Breck said so. Breck basically shaped 80s and 90s Disney. He even, literally, this is a true quote, at one point, Michael Eisner said, my kid likes gummy bears. Make a show out of that. And Are Disney you, did that. Wait. Yes. No way. 100% true. <laughs> the fucking gummy bear show. He's a little dictator. Look, magic and mystery are part of their history. Come on. It's, yeah. it's great. Uh, As opposed to that one kid who was like, hey, let's make monster trucks. <laughs> that, that's true. The, uh, from the oh, Paramount no. executive. Who... <laughs> Dude, so I think, I think Eisner was a much better... You know, little child <laughs> director, showrunner, creator. I don't know what the fuck to say. The, the the real puppeteer behind that era of Disney. When you really exactly. think exactly, yes. Uh, but yes, he uh, directed this film, and the only other film he's directed since is the Vin Diesel vehicle, Last Witch Hunter. You mean the movie based on his D and D character? <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. And, and you know, did Breck Eisner actually really? Direct. No, it's it's a Vin Diesel production. It's a Vin Diesel production, a hundred percent. But it's a shame because, as displayed in this film, at least I haven't seen uh, most of his other films. Uh, the Crazies is definitely it's a really good example of sort of building up tension and dread that you would want in a horror movie. And I I would want to see more from him, especially considering just how well put together so much of the stuff in this is. Oh yeah, dude, I agree. It's real polished. It's really clean. The edits are really nice. The camera shots are really well done. The acting's great in it. Like, he got the best he could get out of everybody in this production. Dude, it's, also got a, it's also got a really, really, really dope look to it. Like, yeah, it does. It's got that almost, like, bluish haze over it sometimes, but then, like, almost like a warm sepia tone to it sometimes. Like, he, they really, really put the work in on this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Credit, of course, also to uh, Maxime Alexandre, um, who has also been doing a lot of... Uh, who's a cinematographer here, and has done a lot of the sort of cinematography for stuff like recently The Nun, Annabelle Creation, and even... This was where I didn't even know this until we did our picking, Adam. The other pick you had, Maniac. That person was oh, a cinematographer wow. for, too. <laughs> oh, no shit. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he, he, there is definitely, like, a... It looks... Obviously, just like, okay, this is believable for, like, a small town in uh, Iowa, uh, you know, especially during the nighttime scenes, but it also feels unsettling, especially right from the opening, when you get the Little League game, and everyone's like, oh, we're having fun, it's Little League, the kids are gonna win, this is gonna be great, and that fucking guy with the shotgun comes in, and you're like, oh, fuck, what's gonna happen right now? (laughs) Yeah. And, oh my god! Yeah, no, as you mentioned, like one of the things that like I very much enjoyed from this is yeah that that small town. Even though you're like they just go immediately right into like things are going bad, but you still get the sense of just like this very much feels like a small town family community. You feel like this would be a nice place to just hang out if it wasn't for this whole shit going down. Mm-hmm. Like everyone seems very very likable, especially. Uh, Timothy Oliphant, the lead, who from the get go, you're already like this. I like this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's basically Raylan Gibbons from Justified. In this, he plays the same type of character. 
real smooth talking. You can tell he's kind of he's a badass. You can tell he's a badass, and he'll he'll lay shit down if he has to. He just doesn't want to. He, he'd prefer to, you know, talk it out first. Yeah, he but doesn't. To, he doesn't have a massive ego about himself, which I no, really like. Because especially like that was sort of my issue with Oliphant earlier in his career than this. It kind of felt like he had a massive ego about himself if you watched some of his earlier movies. But here he feels like a lot more balanced. It's like, look, I know I'm hot shit, but I respect my community. I respect everybody in here. I want the best for everybody. And I think that especially is very well displayed with the opening bit that we're talking about. Trying to like, hey, just put down the gun, man. I know you. I know you are probably drunk right now. You've had a drinking problem, but I think we can relate on this. And then just he always wants to like not pull out his gun you can tell he's just like i don't want to do this but then he does then especially when he has to like fucking face the family that's so harsh that's such a that's what i was gonna bring that up because you guys talked about it but like it's a small town they all know each other this guy's been on you know on the wagon for however long like and then for him to be like ah he was drunk and just the heartbreak and anger that comes out of the widow you're like oh jesus christ and the son. It's heartbreaking watching that scene because I couldn't imagine somebody I've known forever just to have to put him down. And the consequences to have to deal with that to see the family that lives in your town every day. Well, yeah, and the fact that Oliphant is trying to like just display, like, just find some rational reasoning behind it. That it's not like a callous thing, like he was drunk. It's like, no, he was probably drunk. It's just something that happened. I'm sorry I didn't want this to happen. It's like, you know he hasn't had a drink in two right. years. And then it was sla- almost like he was giving her a reason not to grieve so hard. Right. Yes, yeah. and, then, and then even the slap. Like, that's the moment that could just oh, be very over God. the top, but it's just harsh enough to where it stings, but it's not like over the like, flap. How dare you? He's not like off his feet. It's like, God damn. That's all right. He gets her back later with a slap in the neck. You know what oh, I mean? that's the thing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's perfect laying the crumbs for a moment like that that yeah. comes on later. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it does a really good job of that. But also, not just with Oliphant, but the relationship he has with um, his deputy, Joe Anderson, um, I think is very realistic of just, like, two guys that work together who have clearly become friends, but still there's obviously, like, a hierarchy that's going on there. I, I love their dynamic. Especially in the, like, the second and third act, when he when he starts, basically he's just saving his ass constantly, and you're like, this guy is, like, the best friend to have, but at the same time, there is still that tension of just, like, he's a lot more violent than you think he would be. Mm-hmm. The way he plays his character is how you said you felt about Timothy Olyphant's characters originally when he first came out. Joe Anderson thinks he's hot shit in this movie, man. He <laughs> thinks he is smarter, tougher, you know, better looking, everything. You can just read it on him where he knows better and everything else. And I got to be honest with Joe Anderson, this is probably my favorite performance of his in almost anything I've seen him in. Because I've seen him in a lot. Like the last thing I remember seeing him in was that fucking Abattoir movie. He was, he was atrocious in that. Because he's totally have... miscast as like a hard-boiled detective. It's like, that's yeah, not this exactly. guy. Wait, was he really a detective? Yeah, yeah. In, in Avatar, he's oh, just like, I'm a hard-as-nails detective who knows that. No, you're a kid and this, is that like, close. Shut up. Yeah, <laughs> this guy who looks like a, he looks like a fucking angel. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last thing I remember him in was freaking uh, Horns. The last time I remember him in anything is in a role that he's pretty much having to reprise from somebody else where he played Mason Verger in the last season of Hannibal. Oh my god, that's right. Oh, to be fair, I actually liked him a lot of that. 
Well, no, I mean, it's it's a I tough task, because it's like, hey, follow up Michael Pitt being amazing. Do that. I think he did the best job you could have probably done, but... Yeah, yeah. Michael Pitt giving a shit is a hard thing to follow. Anyway, uh, but yeah, the relationship between the two of them in this movie, I, I really do enjoy. Especially, it, they build it up so believably, where it's not like they're totally buddy-buddy all the time. There's definitely, like, clear points where they disagree, or Timothy Oliphant kind of has to, like, drag him along. Like, you say he's hot shit, but I love stuff like when they, he has to explain to him, like, no, where do we get our water, dude? Where, do, where does it come from? It's like... Oh shit! Right, we get it from there. <laughs> like I, I, I like that kind of stuff where it feels like a very realistic dynamic. So when shit goes south, as he becomes a crazy later on, you really feel it. Especially when he just says, "Man, I'm not right, am I?" It's like, "Oh fuck, dude, no, oh, not you." <laughs> it is, yeah. It's the it's the most heartbreaking realization. Timothy Olyphant's clearly in charge in the movie, and. They do play that off really well between the two of them. Like, these are not the type of co-workers I can imagine going out for a beer all the time out of friendship, but almost out of necessity. Like, yeah, we work together. It's a small town, so we have to be friendly. Yeah. Dude, when he throws those fucking road spikes down, you're like, no, what the fuck are you doing? The, you know, he's the fucking man with the road spikes. You're like, dude, come on, no. And then he especially and, shoots that guy in the head. You're like, oh, man, what the fuck oh, are you yeah. doing? It's that weird thing where, like, you're initially questioning, like, why would this character do these things unless he's some kind of... Cr- oh, no! Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, realized it. That's it. By the way, I love that they cast the perfect person to play that character, uh, Clint Morshower, who you yeah. might recognize from, like, every Michael Bay movie as a general of some sort. Like yes! <laughs> he, like, he plays, I think, three different generals called General Morshower in the Transformers movies. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yes. Yeah. Well, I do like that at the end, they sort of gave him a redemption moment. Yeah. Where it's like, he's fucking crazy, dude. Like, he's lost his shit. He's held them all at gunpoint. He's taken all the weapons. He's done everything. And then he's like, fuck. This is going to be my chance now to to redeem myself so you guys can get away. Yeah, and, but uh, did he have to pull the gun to get shot? I don't think he did. That I think com- he was distracted him enough, unless he wanted to get shot. Well, because he's crazy, Adam. Like he's become like a, one of the crazies. Like he's yeah, not going to really be able to get. But if you're crazy, you still don't want to die. Well, no, but, but I'm not saying that. I'm saying like he is aware that he's been infected, and he also realizes like based on like what these guys have done elsewhere that he's probably going to be a goner anyway. So yeah, he just right. pull, pulls out the gun. That, I think that works fine for that, especially... I also like the fact that in a lesser movie, I think they would have had something where it's like, oh, I've got an explosive device, I'm gonna take you all out oh, with yeah, me. that's very yeah. true. Right, but in this yeah. movie, it's more of just like, it's a brief thing, it's a brief distraction, he's just like, a fuck you for what you did. And that's all he can really do. Which I think, yeah. it's a lot more impactful that he does something like that. Yeah. Also, I feel like we haven't talked... We've basically ignored her so far, but I thought Rhonda Mitchell was pretty great also as Timmy the Oliphant's wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was good, goddammit. She's the same in everything she's in, though, man. Which is to True. say, like, I, I think she's fine. I don't think she does, yeah. like, a bad job, necessarily. I think it's a very serviceable job. But there are definitely moments, like, I'll say, when um the, the one guy kills his family and burns down the house, and she comes oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that, where she's like, Why is it doing? Oh, my God, Why? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> By the way, 
is a pretty effed up scene. <laughs> yeah. Horrified, because the whole time you're thinking the two of them are hiding in the closet, you're thinking, oh, he's probably going to like do the typical thing of like run and shooting, like some Amityville horror type shit, only for him to just lock it and just burn the whole fucking thing down. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. No, he's not fucking around. That, and then, dude, I got to bring it up, because it's you know, one of my favorite parts of the movie, and it's still one of the parts that like I'm like, oh, my God. Homeboy with the pitchfork. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dude. Jesus Christ, how fucking terrifying. You're you're strapped down to a gurney and your teacher is walking around with a pitchfork just fucking impaling you. Right. <laughs> this is the time you've been acting up in class. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, we should credit, of course, that is uh, an actor is Larry Cedar, who, Adam, you may recognize in a suit from Twilight Zone, the movie. He played the gremlin. No, I don't believe you. Yes. Really? Yeah. Wow. He was also the snake guy in Dreamscape. No shit. Yes. So that's why they got him for this. Well, yeah, I guess because it's not a suit performance, but you definitely sort of uh-huh. see that physicality. I think it works right. for him, especially the way he just lunges up with that pitchfork and just stabs people directly. Or even oh, yeah, just... when she screams when he freezes. Yeah. Yes, uh, when What's-Her-Face from The Flash screams, yes. <laughs> uh, Daniel Panabaker. Who's yes. In another couple horror remakes, actually. Yes, Friday the 13th. She's one of the main protagonists in as well. Yes, that's true. Right, right. And oh. Sky High, Sky High, everybody. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> that great horror remake, of course. <laughs> the scariest of them all. Yes. But yeah, even even with that pitchfork sequence, I, I feel like the whole movie, it feels like there's a point where it's going to get like overly gory, but it's it's a violent movie without being too gory. Like There's just enough violence for you to go like, oh, that's disturbing, but not revel in it. Right. I think the whole that whole sequence that Adam kind of referenced with like Timothy Oliphant battling uh, family members who have gone insane and then like him getting stabbed with the knife is probably the goriest thing but it's not that gory it's a great example of how like he gets stabbed and there's definitely blood there but it's just more how Oliphant acts and also the very well done CG effects which I will say is very rare for horror remakes especially around this time but this is actually I think a really subtle use of like the practical and CG stuff melding together pretty seamlessly Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. The only time that the CG looks fucking ridiculous is with the truck at the end. I have a lot of issues with the end that we'll get to. (laughs) But... (laughs) No, but, like, the makeup effects, dude, it's fucking really well done. Yeah, Um, when they're all veiny and just, like... Yeah, they invented some kind of new technique where it's almost like temporary tattoos to put the veins on them. Oh, and they would literally make these really thin latex appliances and then just put it on and then wet it down and then peel the paper off and the veins would stick so they'd be really thin and, you know, look legit. And uh, it really works, dude. So it was that and a lot of airbrush. And they just pop contacts in them and there you go. And it helps it also with some of those small town characters. You see them kind of progress into that, um, especially with, like, say, the Larry Cedar character who you see earlier. And, like, Timothy Oliphant tries to, like, get him, like, hey, hey. Man, remember? You there? And it's like, oh yeah, I'm fine. How's it going? Or the guy who uh, Roddy Mitchell sees at the doctor's office who ends up killing his family later. Or you just see like the initial steps of it and how creepy just that is, how unnerving that is. Especially she just tries to ask him like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. She's just overreacting. Have any plans for the weekend? I'm doing all right. She's just overreacting. That mm-hmm. is small, but really effective in terms of just, like, really getting you off your freaking hinges immediately. Oh, yeah, dude, it's terrifying. Yeah. You see these people literally deconstructing and losing their shit right in front of you. Yes. And 
what do you do? I mean, what they don't know what to do. They are completely unprepared for this literally epidemic that's about to sweep their little town. And it's not just the crazy people that are doing it, too. That's the reason I really like this movie. I mean, yeah, the crazies obviously are fucking, you know, butchering people and hunting them and everything else. But then you got the fucking government coming in shooting anybody on site. Armies there burning people, shooting them, doing whatever. I want to say, yeah, there's a lot of sequences, especially when it's like, hey, let's haul these people off into tents and separate children from their families. Where I was just like, oh, yeah. this is a bit real right now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, this is very much irrelevant. This is, this is pretty uh, prescient. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I didn't want to bring up that I wasn't too much of a fan of were the Hunter characters, the three of them. I like, you know, the characters as they are, but the the fact that they're, they just start hunting them, too. Like, it just seems too coincidental or too easy to make those characters almost the main protagonists of the movie, really, when you think about it. I mean, I'll disagree with that, and I think it's mainly because this is another example where, like, seeing this after seeing the original and seeing some other maybe George A. Romero movies that do similar things and don't do it very well. That feels like a more grounded version of, like, that satiric point that Romero made a lot. Like, especially since, I think, like, Dawn, he's been doing that. Yeah. Where it would just be like, oh, look, here are these redneck hicks who are hunting down the zombies or the whatevers, but who are the real monsters here? I think that's a better version of that because we're introduced to them actually trying to kind of be together and hunting as sort of like a communal experience earlier on when they find the bloated mm-hmm. body, for example. It actually yeah. kind of humanizes them versus just, like, feeling like a type and even then, it's like, it kind of feels like it's a, both a self-defense thing, but also they're kind of relishing it too much. Which is why, as a good example, it's a very good remake. It takes similar things that the original creator kind of overblew and makes it a bit more human, a bit more relatable, but also very much a disturbing quality. I will say, Homeboy, the bald guy, man, he took a fucking wrench right to the head. <laughs> <laughs> he did. <laughs> Just kept going. That was a big dude, too, man. I just found it kind of silly, but I that type of thing always kind of bothers me, where they're crazy, yet they still... I, I don't know, like... It reminds me a lot of, like, the Robert Carlyle character in 28 Weeks Later. Mm-hmm. Where he's got this disease, yet he can still... You know, everybody else has lost their shit in a way, but he can still stay focused and hunt and hide and everything else. Well, I think they, they do a great job of, like, building just enough rules for being crazy, where it's just like, oh, after three days, if you don't have it, then you're most likely immune to it, but you do sort of have, like, a slow but gradual development with it, kind of in the same way that Romero kind of did with zombies, where it's like, when do you become a zombie after you get bitten? It's a bit nebulous. It depends really more on the story than any set rules. The very end, where they escape a fucking nuke and don't die... That was kind of fucking ridiculous. Like it, like the whole movie for the most part was still kind of obviously like crazy and over the top, but still it felt very grounded in like where we want to go. But for it to just jump straight to nuke, so what felt kind of <laughs> drastic, I was it kind of took me out for a little bit. But yep, yeah. I completely agree with that. I have I agree with that. That that right. ending is so disappointing to me because <laughs> I honestly I'll say. Any moment after really, probably like the moment that solidifies how much I love Timothy Olyphant in this movie, where he's talking to Rod and Mitchell and he just says, tell me if you want to like give up and die right now because I will do that with you. Where I'm just like, oh, that's a man. 
right there. Yeah. But <laughs> but the, like after that point, I I do kind of feel like the movie kind of lowers a bit more in my estimation. It kind of ends on a weaker note for me. Even like the final climactic fight, I thought was okay. But then the the nuking thing, I just feel like this was a much more intimate, personal story about survival. Yes. And then it becomes this fucking escape the nuke movie. That felt like a studio decision. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. They're like, oh, you got to wrap it up more exciting. And it's just so stupid. They they peaked on the action side with that also equally scary as shit, the car wash sequence. Yes, Mm -hmm. we should talk about that more. That's an amazing scene. In fact, I think it's one of the best set pieces in a horror film. It's terrifying. It's badass. It's everything that you want in a kind of movie like this. It's an ingenious setting, too. Like, I never even thought, like, how many other horror movies use a car wash for, like, a sequence like that? I can't even think of many others that would. Yeah, this is how this is how to do it if you're going to use a car wash. Yeah, and just, I mean, how awesome was it they, in the car wash and they decided to get out of the car and the car rolls out and that fucking helicopter just, boom, boom, blows up their fucking car. Maybe my favorite shot in the entire movie where, yeah, they're just kind of dealing with the, the aftermath of, yeah, Daniel Bannerbaker dying. Car just roll out, you're not even thinking about it. They kept that static shot and you just see the, yeah, the helicopter out of nowhere just blow the shit up. That was just so fucking cool mm-hmm. those and it's a really harsh death in this one too it's so quick yeah. and so brutal and especially like what i love about that explosion is really that it's just like it's like the curb your enthusiasm moment sort of button for, <laughs> for that whole scene because it's just like all this horrible stuff happens you're going through the car wash and they attack and daniel panda baker dies and they try and save her and it's like oh man she's dead how could this get any worse <laughs> Yeah, man. (laughs) Now, you know, and I feel like this one unjustly gets lost Mm -hmm. when people talk about remakes. Um, A lot of people, but I I feel this one kind of gets unjustly lost, period, when people talk about horror cinema. And I loved it. A lot of people really liked it. And then, like, nobody really even remembers it or talks about it anymore. I think it also has to do with the fact that most people don't really talk about the crazies, the original anymore. Because I think people talk, obviously, a lot about Dawn of the Dead, so obviously the Zack Snyder movie comes up. And admittingly, this movie owes a lot to that Zack Snyder movie, to the point where they take another Johnny Cash song from that same album that The Man Comes Around comes from. (laughs) Everybody was doing that at this time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that either. Um, But I will actually say my favorite use of a song, um, I love the use of the Willie Nelson version of Bring Me Sunshine during the end credits. Yes. That is the perfect sort of creepy punctuation ironic song point of the whole movie especially over that news footage which apparently is from an actual newscaster in like the iowa area like the abc affiliate over in cedar rapids he's an actual (laughs) guy yeah um Mm. it it feels authentic yeah and then just the the use even of the crazy popping up there it's a great way of as we mentioned sort of building up more of that paranoia we haven't talked about it as much but the growing sense of paranoia this movie builds is so perfectly done because it's like you said there's so much confusion there's so much anger and there's so much of this small town not knowing what's going on and the you know the government comes in almost has like an et quality in that way of making these faceless government goons villains um does a great job of building all of that they do a really good job with it too with having like the three or four main characters with the joe anderson character you know, sort of slipping into the disease right? to where you're constantly watching them watch him too. 
and it just builds it up and builds it up, builds it up. And you know, the fact is that that's happening everywhere in this town. So it's really cool. I mean, yo, fuck this disease. (laughs) (laughs) Hot take. Fuck this disease. (laughs) You feel for everyone in the movie too. That's the thing. Even the crazy people, like, especially the chick that gets knifed in the throat mm-hmm. and her son, you're like, dude, I feel so bad for them. Yeah. No. She was just widowed, and he lost his father, like, what, two days prior. So they're acting on their base emotions of rage and, you know, grief. It's an extra added layer of just, like, this is really upsetting for the main characters. Because, yeah, like we mentioned, it's a small town. So these are all, like, friends and family who are just turning on them and becoming savages. And not in the way that, like, a typical zombie where it's, like, you can see it's very clearly a zombie. You don't, like, I feel like in our world, we just go, like, oh, it's a fucking zombie. Okay, yeah, you're already dead. But with this, it's, like, no, there's just something wrong that just slowly degenerates any kind of moral compass. Right. But they still look human. That's that's exactly. the great thing. Yeah, I think that's what's ingenious sort of about the idea of the crazies that Romero even tapped into with that original movie. Some of the better sequences in there are when they have the actual crazies attack, and they look like basically normal people, except they're just off enough. It's like that uncanny valley that works mm-hmm. tremendously well, where it's just like they're just off enough to where it's creepy. I think that's that's an ingenious idea. But let's get into our final thoughts then on the crazies remake. Shaquille, you go ahead and start our guest. With your okay. Uh, yeah, it's no surprise that I fucking love this movie. I remember I had first seen the trailers when it originally came out, and I was like, like I didn't know that it was originally yeah from a Georgia Romero film. And at first, I was like, this might not be great. I'm not entirely certain. Like, I love Timothy Oliphant, but I don't know how this is gonna go. But I adore everything about this. Like we mentioned, the sense of paranoia it, it works really well throughout. All these characters are very likable, very relatable, and you really do care for them. And it hurts whenever they die. And it helps also that, like, this movie has, like we mentioned, some really, really badass action. Like the scene in the car wash, or just really, really terrifying sequences like the pitchfork sequence. The ending is goofy as shit. But it doesn't really undercut everything else that go that happens beforehand. And this is honestly one of my favorite remakes ever. Highly fucking recommend it if you haven't seen it. Even outside of it being a remake, it does stand on its own as just like a really, really good action horror thriller. Adam? I pretty much agree with everything Shaq just said. I, I think in the pantheon of horror remakes, um, this easily deserves a spot in the top five, if not the top three. I think this is an underappreciated and underviewed movie and not talked about enough. This movie alone showed what Timothy Oliphant can actually do. I think it started with Deadwood, and then there was this, and then Justified. Rada Mitchell, I could give or take. I think the sound, the score is really good in this movie. It, the licensed music in this movie really fits. The gore is not really there. It's not a gory movie per se, but it's violent. Like You feel it. And uh, you are sympathetic to everybody in the movie, even the people who are trying to kill the ones unaffected because they have no choice. They're not dead. They're not zombies. They don't have a hunger for anything. They literally just have no choice. They are exactly what the title is. They have gone fucking crazy. And what are you going to do? I think this is damn near a perfect horror remake, except for that fucking ending. I think this is just a fantastic movie. 
It's very underrated in terms of the Pantheon of Horror remakes. Um, it, it deserves a lot more credit, especially for, like we mentioned, it takes a movie that had a lot of flaws that didn't quite accomplish a pretty good idea and sort of builds on the promise of that and delivers far more than the original movie did. I know, it's blasphemy. George A. Miller is great. He's one of the best horror filmmakers of all time. That's true. He also had good ideas and sometimes didn't know how to do them very well, guys. We can accept mm-hmm. that now. Guys, monkey shines exist. Get over it. <laughs> Bruiser. Bruiser, everybody. Bruiser is a movie that exists, too. It's Diary of the Dead. We talked about it earlier. This movie d- takes all the right moves, and it is the principal movie I would bring up to somebody about just like, well, what kind of movie would you want to see remade? Something like The Crazies. Something that could you could build on and do a great job with like building up the characters, the atmosphere, um, a lot of the sort of action horror tone, I agree, especially, I think really works here. And like I said, more films for Breck Eisner, um, Timothy Oliphant, I think finally gets to the status that he would just build on and have a wave of now for like almost a decade. And yeah, definitely one that more people should seek out. But speaking of a complete 180 to that, Let's oh, talk boy. about our next film, the 1999 remake of The Haunting. Welcome to Hill House, everyone. For a hundred years. What's the deal with the Adams Family Mansion? Don't you love it here? No one has dared to spend the night at Hill House. There won't be anyone around if you need help. <laughs> On this night, four people will find out why. Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, The Haunting, rated PG-13, starts Friday, July 23rd. So, The Haunting, I heard some debate over whether or not this is technically a horror remake, because this is based on the Shirley Jackson novel, The Haunting of Hill House, which has produced a few adaptations. There was recently The Haunting of Hill House Netflix show, which is kind of the reason I thought of doing this, but also, of course, there was the 1963 adaptation, and some have argued, like, oh, was it really a remake of that movie, or is it more of a, you know, adaptation of the book? Admittedly, I have not read the book, so I wouldn't be able to know. I don't know. Have you read, Adam, the book? No, no, I have not. I can tell you that there are definite moments where it feels like they're trying to call back to the 1963 movie, and those are really the moments that hurt me the most because interestingly I had <laughs> I had seen both the crazies and the haunting before I had ever seen the original film versions um but then this is the first time I'd seen either since I'd rewatched those movies and while watching the crazies made me appreciate the 2010 movie a lot more um having seen the 63 haunting movie makes me go from not giving a shit about this movie to completely loathing it on every single conceivable level because <laughs> yep. the original 1963 haunting is one of my favorite horror movies because yeah, of it's a masterpiece. Yes, it's it's a great simple story about just like you know four people are in this haunted house and it's atmospheric and gothic and spooky, but it's really character driven. And Julie Harris delivers, I think, one of the best performances in a horror movie of all time, where she's this very complex individual who has to go through so much shit. You feel sorry for her, you're kind of terrified of her, you're kind of annoyed by her, you're really worried for her. You go through so many emotions watching her in that movie. This fucking movie. Oh, Oh, boy. Fucking does. God damn it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Released uh, July 23rd, 1999, uh, from director... John DeBont, 
of Jan. It's Jan. Jan DeBont. I'm sorry. Who was a cinematographer prior to being a director, but then directed Speed and Twister. You know, the perfect guy to do an atmospheric horror. Movie. An atmospheric. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, a gothic horror movie. Yep. <laughs> but before I go too far with it, uh, Adam, uh, what was what's your relationship with the '63 movie, and then to this movie? <laughs> The original is the first horror movie I remember seeing. Hmm. My mom, as I've said on the show before, especially in the Romero episode, hates horror movies, but she loves The Haunting. So she showed it to me. I was really young, man. I think I was like seven or eight. And it scared the living piss out of me. But that was my gateway movie into the genre. So I will always have a spot for it. And then when this one came out, I went and saw it at the show opening day. And... I literally like think I lost an inch on my penis. <laughs> I, I I just like didn't go to the show for like almost a year after this. It soured me so much. I hate this movie. Like from the depths of me, I hate this movie. And of course, that's coming from two people who've seen the original movie, and we clearly have sure. some kind of a bias behind it. Shaquille, you mentioned you hadn't seen the original film. What are your thoughts so, then on the haunting? Here's the thing: I do kind of have a brief association to horror. Be- at least this was technically also a semi-introduction to horror as a kid, because I remember seeing—I was like six years old—didn't want anything to do with horror ever. This is probably one of the catalysts for it, because I remember there, like, there, I remember a time when I would just like watch like the pay-per-view channel where they show all the trailers, and they showed the teaser for this. And how the, I don't know if y'all have seen, if you guys remember the teaser, but it was like showing the Hill House, like, oh, this is the bones, this is the skin, this is the eyes, or whatever. And then at the very end, the house morphs into a creepy ass demon face. And that gave me nightmares for years. (laughs) That, and also that one clip in the trailer where you'd see uh, Lily Taylor in the bed and all the fucking faces start moving, looking at her, and all the, the, the bed just like forms this cage around her. And all that scared the absolute living shit out of me as a six-year-old. As a grown-ass man watching it, I'm like, this, all of this sucks. And everything undercuts the other thing in terms of just, like, what's supposed to be scary and what's not. So this movie fucking sucks. (laughs) Yeah. See, so even from a clear perspective, this is a giant piece of shit. To, To really examine that, I think, one, we have to go into the casting, which I will give credit, none of these actors necessarily bad choices for any of these roles. They're just garbage characters. So, like, Lily Taylor as sort of, like, Arnell, who was the character Julie Harris played, not a bad choice in theory. It's so boring, (laughs) dude. But I think, (laughs) see, it's interesting because I think she did a better job with a similar character later on in 2013's The Conjuring, which did a... so, So I think, like, she is a not a bad choice for that character, but... The version of the character that is here is so much more grating because she has this, like, it's she's getting, like, her house taken away, which in theory is more of an issue than, like, her living with her sister in the original. But I, I think, especially when she ends up becoming, like, her motivation becomes less about, like, am I going insane? Will I ever find some kind of purpose? Am I alone in this universe? Something anyone can relate to, and there's a real tragedy and all that. She's just like, oh, I should be a mom. And that's right. what my Gotta thing save is. save the children. Yeah. Ugh. He hurt all the children. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, like, that whole opening scene, yeah, when her sister's, like, saying, oh, we're gonna sell the house. 
like where am I going to live? It's like you can come live with us and take care of all of our stuff. And you see the kids like that kid's a little shit. So you're like, okay, you know what? I don't want to be a parent to that child. Right, but not ghost kids. She's down for that. <laughs> What's your fucking specter children? Let's just jump into this right now. The effects in this are fucking garbage. But they were <laughs> like, good. But you got to look at the time the movie came out. Dude, Casper had come out maybe four or five years prior and looked better than this. (laughs) It's funny you mention Casper because honestly the production design, which I'll give credit for, is probably the best thing about the movie. I like the look of the actual mansion. Um, Reminded me so much of Casper. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it looks so much like the same gothic fucking set. Like, I wouldn't be surprised just like, hey, can we add more to the set of Casper? It's still around. Let's just use that. Get Bill Pullman in here somewhere. (laughs) I wish. Good God, do I wish Bill Pullman was here. <laughs> um, instead of maybe, say, like a Liam Neeson, who we can say outright garbage scientist, right? Like oh, terrible, awful geez. scientist. His experiment yeah. doesn't make any fucking sense. No, it makes zero sense. And he's sleepwalking through this role. He doesn't give a yeah. shit. You feel bad about Darkman, don't you now, motherfucker, huh? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the two extremes. One is he's overdoing it, and one is he's not trying at but all. But he's doing something, as opposed to doing literally nothing. Yeah. And it, it, especially when he, his whole scheme of just like, oh, I'll tell them that it's an insomnia study, but it's really going to be um, this study about fear and ghosts and shit. It's just like, you're, you're tainting the experiment by doing that. <laughs> Like, I understand not telling them, oh, there are fucking ghosts here, but it's like, oh, no, it's a fear experiment. We're going to, like, put you in individual places and see how you react to it. Shit like that, as opposed to, it's about insomnia. You're you're tainting the point of the experiment. The, the logic of just, like, oh, you don't tell the lab rats that they're chasing after cheese. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> that makes no at sense. The, at, the same t- at the same time, he's, like, saying, yeah, it's an experiment in fear in the sense of, like, we're putting him in a haunted house. Yeah, he's shocked that the house is alive also as if he didn't expect this to happen so dumb uh but speaking of dumb um also Catherine zeta jones in this movie where so useless she provides nothing well no she provides uh, the sexy alluring character we totally needed for this movie right oh yeah sure she's just pure tna and hey let's make her a lesbian for no reason well no that's uh... What works about the original movie <laughs> is that that character is hinted at being a lesbian. There's subtle exactly. indications that she and Nell do have this connection, and it's a great relationship that builds between those two characters that makes, say, like, the, were you holding my hand? That wasn't me holding your hand scene works so well. And then in this movie, it's literally a throwaway ADR line. Right. Yeah. And, and, of course, they make her so overt and it feels like so much... The, the use of it's women worse. in this movie is so yeah, reductive, it's, and it's where it's either like, hey, you're... It's like the virgin whore mom complex thing all over. All oh. over with, like, both of these fucking characters. And literally just... Catherine Z-Jones just, like, comes in like, oh, look, I'm gonna take off my alluring clothes and look at my breasts. And it's just like, god damn it, that's not the point. <laughs> that... <laughs> the subtlety, like you said, Thomas, in the original worked so well because it just gave the character layers mm-hmm. and this she's just an out and out totally after lily taylor from the beginning yep and you're like this is ridiculous yep. this is fucking ridiculous and of course owen wilson you know wow <laughs> <laughs> he literally says well one point i died <laughs> right. he's the alpha male he's gonna convert her sort of deal. You're like, this is fucking... Re- 
ridiculous. It's weird where, like, him as a character, like, he's supposed to be the comedic relief. He's the version of the Russ Tamlin character from the original movie, who was, like, sarcastic but relatable, a bit more grounded, versus Owen Wilson is literally, like you mentioned, just going, oh, wow, look at this house. It's so great. It's weird where, like, they make him the comedic relief, but the funniest stuff is when he's not trying to be a comedic relief at all. Yeah, like, seeing oh. Owen Wilson try to dramatically emote is is hilarious. <laughs> like, good God. Also, even like the, that one scene where he's like roaming around the house around Liam Neeson, and he has to like remind people, like, oh, hey, I'm supposed to be an insomniac. Like, you don't really seem like you're tired at all or suffering from anything. You're just kind of just chilling around this house for no reason. He's having a catch with a bunch of ghosts. <laughs> and that sequence in particular, Shaquille, where they have to belabor this whole thing where, like, Liam Neeson surprises him with the obvious bad jump scare stuff, and he has to go on about just like, oh my god, oh, that surprised me so much, wow, oh my god. It's, it's a, don't do that, you know? It's, it's like, what are you up? You know, insomnia. I have to remind the audience, hey, yeah, we're here because of insomnia. How long does that scene last? It's like, I think... 50 minutes um it, it feels so like <laughs> it feels like 50 minutes it just goes on forever and also like we mentioned Liam Neeson but also in comparison to his because we've been fucking comparing things it's like oh that's not fair fuck you it is how that Liam Neeson character also just is in complete contrast to in the original movie the scientist who is kind of dangerous kind of like this this character who you see it's just like he's sort of a master of ceremonies, but he also does eventually become a lot more grounded and human as things go along. And Liam Neeson is like an exposition machine. He has to exposit about like, oh, hey, this uh, the oh, legend of Hill House and oh, the, here's everything that you need to know, audience, over Brandy. It's fucking awful. He's an on-screen narrator, dude. Yep. Like, it, it's bullshit. Especially in comparison to the original movie does such a great job of, like, with flashbacks and narration doing a really good job, and even of, like, internal monologue. Like, that's something that usually doesn't work in the movie, but they do a tremendous job of making that integrated really well without making it seem like they're just telling instead of showing. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, especially in the original, too. I mean, honestly, Thomas, how how many, like, ghosts and goblins can you remember from the original? There aren't any. That's the point. There's the the (laughs) one old lady. Well, no, but even that, that's not really a ghost or goblin. It's the wife of the scientist character. Yeah, she's got the it. white eyes and she creeps, you know, backwards. That's the only thing. This one, there's goddamn giant statues that are chilling in a pool. There, There's lion heads. You're like, what oh, the man. fuck is going on in this movie? It's just like, hey, you know how the original kind of built suspense and subtlety with great stuff like the door just expanding and other stuff like that? Yes. Let's go the exact opposite way. <laughs> right. Like, let's right. make every bad decision that we could have made versus the good decision the original did. That's literally what this is. This is like the poster child of a bad remake because it completely misses yes. the point. Of the characters and the story and the scares. Holy fuck, the scares are such garbage. Because it's, it's terrible. It's just, hey, look, let's have a giant creature pop out. Let's have a big ghost. With, especially the whole final... Ukraine. Ukraine. Uh, oh Ukraine is so grating to me because it's just like not just him as this like big giant, you know, Galactus cloud fart. That shows up. Right, sure, was, sure. But then Lily Taylor having to yell at him is just like, this was about family and about keeping each other together and you're messing all of that up. No, Lily Taylor, you're fucking all this up because that's right. not the point. That's not what it's this supposed to be. Was, 
the precursor to Vin Diesel obsessively using it in the Fast and Furious. Uh, oh God! <laughs> Look, dude, I'm gonna go right now and say I'd argue that Scary Movie Two is a better remake of The Haunting. Yep, because they're parodying <laughs> yes, this movie and doing yep. a good job of it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, so you mentioned that statue, but like that shot. When Liam Neeson's like walking through the room and that statue just grabs him and starts just shooting blood out of its mouth for no reason. Uh, like there's so, there's so many things that just happened because you know that they had the money for CG. They're like, oh, we got to update this for the modern age. CG's big now, so let's just do effects on everything. Blood is scary, right? The kids think blood is scary. Let's do that. While watching this and I was hating myself, I also kind of resisted to my own brain and thought about different things as I hated myself. And I was hating you while watching well, this. Oh, no, I mean, no, you. I deserve to be hated because uh, yeah. I, I can't believe I put us through this. But I was thinking, how often does super high-budget horror work? Almost never. Right, yeah, because, like, there are a few exceptions. Something, like, I would argue, compared to the average horror movie, like, say, a poltergeist is a pretty high-budget yeah special effects heavy horror movie but that works because also they gave a shit about what's that thing characters that's a good fucking point man Mm -hmm. high budget horror rarely ever works i mean honestly if you looked at the budget of poltergeist it probably wasn't that high i think by like if you did the conversion to like modern like the with inflation it's probably pretty high versus the haunting 1999 the budget was 80 million dollars which, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the craziest 2010, the budget is 20. Yeah. <laughs> and most likely by inflation, 80 is more like 100, honestly, based on like the look of it. And yeah, everything oh, else yeah. Like that. yeah. You don't need a high budget to build scares or suspense or any of the other stuff that makes a horror movie work versus this is, it's definitely, it's a horror movie made by people who don't give a single fuck about horror movies. It is made by people who just like, oh, what do, what's scary? Uh, let's build it's a big a house. Mm, ghosts. Mm, crap. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say this. Like, just to be not completely mean to this movie, even though I want to be, there's two things that did get me. At <laughs> least, like, in terms of just because it kind of put me back into the mindset of, like, that scared-ass six-year-old. The scene when Lilith in the house and the fa- and like the wall becomes a face, like the face starts like moving and everything, that brought me back to a childhood fear that I had of like things having a face and trying to fucking eat me or whatever. So I saw you when I saw that the Lost World VHS cover was scary. That's that's what I mean. <laughs> it goes back, listen. It goes back to shit like that where I'm like that should not be moving. I don't like that. That's fucking scary. And also, the, again, that shot that I thought was scary as shit as a six-year-old with all those like kids turning and like looking at her, those eyes are still creepy looking as hell. That's about it. But the thing is, is with that shot, once all the bars come down on her, and that's supposed to be like the big like iconic shot of the movie, that's the one where you go like, okay, that's that's scary as hell. But then Lily Taylor who couldn't scream for shit in this movie, she just goes, ah! <laughs> She's terrible. She's terrible in this movie. It undercut literally everything that was potentially good about that scene. Yeah. Um, undercut. It's almost as if that should have been the title of the movie, The Undercut. That's, <laughs> that's might as well be what it's called. Um, and also just criminal wastes of people like Bruce Dern, too, who should have said the Dudleys. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, just, he's there. And honestly, like you mentioned Scary Movie 2, 
I almost kept wishing every time I saw him, just like, could you just be Chris Elliott? I'm just like, take a strong hand, Billy Taylor. Hey, what's up? <laughs> My germs. Squeeze nope. your wheel tight. Oh, one thing I'd like to mention, man. Owen Wilson's death in this is fucking hysterical. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Just gets a random fucking wrecking ball lion head, decapitates the oh. shit. Which again, PG thirteen. So as soon as it happens, they just cut away. Well, no, they don't cut away. They have like a bad CG head bobbing up and down the stairs. They do have a bit of that, which is also still terrible. God yeah. damn it! Uh, <laughs> and you know, I'll say for the sake of being somewhat at least nice to not this movie because fuck this movie, it's garbage. But I, it gives me a lot more respect for the Haunting of Hill House Netflix show, which we mentioned previously, which I have issues with. I'm about halfway through it. I haven't at, seen it yet. I really need to watch it. I mean, it's just a problem. Like, I like Mike Flanagan, but it definitely just like his deliberate pace feels far more deliberate, stretched over mm-hmm. ten episodes. Ooh, um, yeah. But I will say, when it works, it works really well. It's it's tremendous, and it actually does a better job of kind of building the family dynamic. I heard somebody say, and this feels accurate. It's like imagine this is us, but with a haunted house. <laughs> oh, wow. okay. <laughs> yep, yeah, because it's a lot of like the family drama that's going on at the same time. Um, I just wish Mike Flanagan casted less white people that looked exactly alike. Because <laughs> it's kind of oh, confusing. Well, a family. <laughs> that, well, that's true, but literally, like, the, I confuse the sisters all the time. There are three sisters, and they all are the same brunette lady to me. <laughs> it looks so <laughs> fucking similar. Anyway, but still, at least, you know what? That is one that takes a lot of the ideas of the original source material and warps it and shapes into something that kind of fits more of like a 10-episode series. It's all in one night. It's obviously kind of like going back to one night when they were kids, but then also kind of examining the characters as they are now and still referencing things from the original at the same time. And if that's what you want to do, but with remaking especially a great movie, that's the way to go versus like, hey, we're going to do the exact same story but have way more stupid, distracting trappings that completely make you miss the point of what was so ethereal, what was so creepy what was so relatable while still being scary and i'm gonna say that as my final thoughts because anything else would just be random gurgles of hatred so shaquille (laughs) what are your final thoughts on the haunting from 1999 so yeah my whole thoughts is i was a fucking whiny ass bitch as a six-year-old because this the thing about this is that it's just so goddamn dull like, none of these characters are particularly likable or even remotely interesting, especially Lily Taylor, who just goes out of her way to just be the worst, somehow the worst actor in such such a shitty, shitty fucking film. The effects, you can tell that they put money in it, but it's it's effects that look like shit right now. I'm, I'm sure that they looked high-tech back in 99, but at the same time, it's the same year that we got shit like The Matrix, which still holds up. So I don't even want to... I don't even want to think about like that as an excuse. I'm just like, oh, it's for its time. It, no, this shit sucks. Um, it's just <laughs> not... It's just not scary. Like the And the parts that I thought were scary aren't even really scary. They're just things that just relate back to like childhood trauma. So it doesn't really count. So yeah, no, fuck this movie. <laughs> Reminds you of childhood trauma. Great selling yes. point. Adam. <laughs> uh, th- I mean, there's nothing about this movie that is salvageable. I mean, I you can't 
recommend this to anybody with a good conscience. You can't even be like, oh, well, the acting was decent. Like you said, the set design, sure, but it's populated by a bunch of fucking shit. And I, I agree with Shaq. The, the CGI, yeah, for its time, but back think about it, it looks like, like Devil May Cry cutscenes. Like the original Devil May Cry. <laughs> it's just, it, it's a terrible film. The only thing that I could say about it, at least we still have the original. Like, the original still celebrated classic. It's not lost on anybody. You know, it's still a lot of fans out there for it. So at least you can go back and watch the original. This is just not worth it at all. There's nothing redeemable here. Yeah, this doesn't this doesn't even work as like a so bad it's good movie. No, 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 not at this all. is a so bad it's atrocious. This is a pop it out and fall asleep movie. So that is the end of our discussion of our two horror remakes. But we got some feedback to read in, guys. We got a lot of feedback to get through. Hey, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Everybody. Yes, thank you very much. We we are not disparaging that at all because uh, we asked all of you out there on the. Double Edge Double Facebook and Twitter feeds, but you're at DEDB Pod about what your favorite and least favorite horror remakes. I'm gonna go through a list of uh, you guys saying stuff here. Uh, first, Zach Nolan says you really can't get any better than The Fly and The Thing, in my opinion. Uh, Stephen D at Wing FTH says favorite remakes would be The Fly, The Thing, and The Crazies. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Oh, then, way to go, Stephen. Yes. Uh, James Rodriguez says, The Hills Have Eyes and Dawn of the Dead are actually quite good horror remakes, but the obvious answers are John Carpenter's The Thing and David Cronenberg's The Fly. As for worst, Rob Zombie's trashy Halloween and Prom Night starring Britney Snow. Hey, Prom Night! Gave <laughs> hey, a second uh, reference. Uh, Rachel Hillis says, uh, The Thing, definitely. For worst, I would have to go with the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street. Tori Depina, friend of the show, says, uh, Worst, Psycho 1998. Best, The Thing, 1982 and 2011. Brian Kane says, The Thing is a given, but I'd like to highlight I Am Legend, which is one of my favorite post-apocalyptic movies, at least until the studio ending misses the whole point of the story. And then at uh, Represivo says, on from Twitter, says, uh, Definitely The Thing from John Carpenter. I also liked Rob Zombie's Halloween. I saw it recently after a long time, and I was surprised by how much tension, suspense, and hopeless feelings were there in the chase scenes. So yeah, guys, uh, any comments about some of the ones mentioned here? I think there was a pattern, in case you couldn't tell, that a lot of people yeah, said the yeah, thing and the fly. The, the fly and the thing, which, full disclosure, I actually have seen neither of those. I'm planning on buying the thing, like the, the Blu-ray, because I... Buy the shot, fly Because, well. listen, funny story about the fly, but I just recently went to a Hannibal Burris concert, and the DJ, what he did is he had, scree- he had like, clips of the fly playing while also playing the song Stay Fly by 3-6 Mafia, and it is the funniest fucking thing in the world. Okay, that might be a better remake than The Fly. (laughs) (laughs) So imagine just, like, Jeff Goldblum just decomposing, and all you hear in the background is just, I gotta stay fly. uh, 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 uh." (laughs) Alright, well, I'm gonna disagree with Tori on the thing 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it was alright, but it didn't need to happen. I mean, it brought nothing new. I believe that is a prequel to the 1982 yeah, film, not a remake. I am legend. I, I can't get behind that one. See, I, I really can't. It's one of many examples of why Will Smith is a guy I really like, but I just don't like most of the movies he does, because he's giving it his all in I Am Legend. Oh, I he's think- fantastic. But the CGI fucking lockjaw vampires. Woo! They're bad. They're yep. ridiculous. 
ridiculous. And you know what, dude? I'm not I'm I'm not mad at Rob Zombie's Halloween, the first one. Mm-hmm. I actually do you know the second one's just bullshit. Dude, listen, listen, listen. For some reason, and I found a lot of people who are starting to reappraise it and going like, yo, it's actually really good. I'm like, mm-hmm. are you fucking serious? Right oh, now? I know, dude. Like, did you watch that fucking movie? Well, honestly, if I could interject briefly, I'll say yeah, this much. Okay. I did rewatch um, both Halloween and specifically the director's cut of Halloween 2 from Rob Zombie. I'll yeah. say this much. I don't like either of them, but... After seeing, especially going through all the Halloween movies and seeing shit like Resurrection and Six, um, I give them a lot more credit for at least trying some interesting things. Especially in the director's cut of Halloween 2, they do actually do a pretty interesting job of developing Scout Taylor Compton as Laurie, kind of going through the PTSD of experiencing the events of his Halloween. And I think, honestly, it's a weird thing where I think the sort of other sort of human characters from the original that come back, I think they do a pretty good job of developing. It's just the stuff with Michael's fucking stupid. <laughs> Which <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, doesn't dude, work. And she just has such a ridiculously uncharacteristic, filthy mouth. Scott Taylor Compton in that movie. It's, I mean, it's, that, it's that patented Rob Zombie dialogue. Mm-hmm. I think that's more a problem in the, the his original remake. Which, honestly, I have trouble with just because... For all the issues people have with the first half, which they should, because it's like you're revealing everything about Michael Myers, that's at least more of a choice and more of something distinct than just remaking the movie in the second yeah. half, the original movie. That's the thing. Yeah, like I like I don't like it, but I'll give it credit that yeah, I did try something different. And at the very least, I do actually kind of like the grungy aesthetic of Michael himself. Like mm-hmm. that, de- like that decomposing mask. I was talking about this the other day with a friend of mine, but yeah, he, his mask might be my personal favorite out of all the iterations of it, because mm-hmm. it just it just works on the sense of just like this is, this is somebody you don't fuck with, <laughs> but just the movie itself, yeah, it's it's not really good. Also, yeah. credit to Malcolm McDowell, who is a joy to watch in both those movies. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> Let me make things perfectly clear. Michael Myers is dead. D E A D. And I, I kind of like that progression of Loomis. It's very like in the original movies, I always had kind of a trouble with like as much as I like Donald Pleasance. Loomis is kind of a hero, but also a psychopath. Versus in the Rob Zombie movies, they just are kind of like, Loomis went from, you know, kind of essentially turning Michael into what he was to trying to sell a book off him and really being a sellout piece of shit, which is <laughs> a take that I at least appreciate. That's different. That's kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah, see, I wasn't into that, man. Bastardizing by Loomis. Well, Loomis not my thing. fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with crazy, but for him to become a fucking, like, narcissistic sellout prick it just it didn't work for me that's true I mean yeah compared to say in 5 when he uses a girl as a human shield <laughs> yeah fuck it man what are you gonna do Michael Myers coming after you just to go back on the feedback though I do also like the mention of Hills Have Eyes cause Hills mm-hmm. Have Eyes is fucking yeah, Hills have great eyes yeah well that's that's another one where I'd seen it originally before I'd seen the original and I was like oh whatever and then having seen the original it's a much better movie because well, that's a super like overrated movie. movie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, yep. <laughs> especially because no offense to Wes Craven, but yeah, some of those, especially even in the second Hills Have Eyes, where he decides, oh. "Hey, let's have a flashback mostly to the original from movie, the including from the dog." They have a dog flashback in Hills Have Eyes Part 2. 
It's so stupid. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, also, some of the others that were mentioned, like, obviously, we kind of referenced Dawn of the Dead when we were talking about crazies, yep. but still Zack Snyder's best movie, honestly. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like uh, the Texas Chainsaw remake, the first one. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Oh, yeah. my God. That I was actually going to bring that up. That is legitimately mm-hmm. one of my personal favorite in terms of remakes. Because okay. although, yeah, it doesn't, it's not as good as the original, obviously. But, but it's I think different. it works. It, I mean, it looks, yeah, it works. It works really, really well on its own. Mm-hmm. That grungy aesthetic really fucking works on this. And, and Arlie Arlie Emery. Emery. Oh, is yeah. absolutely fucking terrifying. Well, it's, it's really interesting, especially considering they got the original cinematographer from the first movie. Right, you just, you, I mean, look at his progression. Yes. And I, I'd also argue, dude, I know it gets a lot of shit, and we've talked about it before, Thomas, but the Friday the 13th remake is also fun. Also, yeah. thank you. Man, yes. Adam is on one today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw that shortly after we did our Friday the 13th episode, and yeah, that's honestly one of the better entries in that franchise. I think it, it does a pretty good job of truncating like the first four movies into one movie and has a lot of fun ideas. I like the idea of him having the underground tunnels and shit. That's I the best too. explanation for him like going around everywhere. That's a clever yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. And also, I know he's like, it's not a good movie, but I have fun with it because it's just so just batshit at points. But House of Wax is really fun to me. House of Wax is fun, dude. I agree. When Paris Hilton gets that fucking piece of pipe through her eye, you're like, yes! 10 out of 10. (laughs) Oh, and another one I want to bring up real quick before we stop, but my favorite remake is the 1999 Living Dead. with The one with Tony Todd. I I just love that movie. See, and that's a movie where I don't think it's as good as the original Night, but it does have one significant improvement with Barbara. They make Barbara a far more compelling and actually, like, grounded character, which is a big plus in my book. Were there any others that you would want to mention, Shaquille, in terms of really good horror oh, remakes? Uh, in terms of horror remakes, actually, there's one that I was actually planning on buying because it just came out because of, uh, on Blu-ray because of Scream Factory. It's a House on Haunted Hill, which also came out the same year as the Bullshit Haunted. That's fun. That's a fun. It's movie. a fun ass movie. It's not good, but there's yeah, also I... parts that legitimately creep the fuck out of me, like the design of the ghosts themselves, the, like the super like kind of fast motion faces mm-hmm. and shit. It it the it doesn't fully work, especially like that last big effect of the darkness. That looks terrible. Oh, it's horrible. But it still kind of works as like a fun roller coaster. <laughs> I mean, I I would also throw in amongst ones that we just haven't mentioned some you know an underrated one that kind of builds on sort of the comedy of the original Piranha 3D. I yeah, think that's... yeah, Piranha 3D is really fun. Yeah, I think John Aja is just good with remakes apparently. <laughs> Wait, and he also produced the the Maniac remake, so even more yep. so. Um, also, just brief shout out the Blob nineteen eighty eight. Oh, that's one of the oh, best. Dude, they go so in cool. on that. Like oh, they yeah. they that's pull the no punches. <laughs> no, they they do not. They really fuck people up. <laughs> it's great. But we got some more feedback. This is more specifically from our Sam Raimi episode, uh, which was our last episode here. Jacopo Kokoya says just superb. That short, sweet, to the point. We like that. Thanks, buddy. Yes. Uh, Lance Langford says, you guys should have gotten Oz in there. I mean, it was the oh, other option. It could yeah, have been. Just barely dodged it. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Yep. Heather Thomas says, a fantastic episode I truly enjoyed. That Adam dude sounds hot, too. 
You got Adam. You got an admirer. That's my wife, man. I know. <laughs> uh, wait, I was gonna say you should tell your wife about this other Heather Thomas that's coming on. Yeah, it's, just, it's pretty right. suspicious. <laughs> um, uh, Dan Chambo says I love Dark Man. Although when he shoves that guy up the manhole and the truck runs over his head, that shit tripped me out as a kid. Um, yeah, Ted Raimi getting his head run over. Yeah. Like like we said, kind of an, a high-budget yeah, trauma effect. Yeah, the episode, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and uh, James Travis says, The Return of Durant was actually good, lol. Um, no, no, it wasn't James. I have not admittedly seen uh, Return of Durant or, what was it, Die, Dark Man, Die? Die, Dark Man, Die, baby. <laughs> Yeah, it's Ger- no. it's German for the dark man the. Damn it! Yeah. You already said it before I said it. I was just thinking that. <laughs> but thank you for all that feedback. We really appreciate it, guys. And uh, thanks also to Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Also, thanks to Emily Scarter for the art that she did. Uh, she accepts commissions at fiverr with two r's dot com slash ee scarta. And of course, we want to thank Mr. Shaquille Lambert for coming on. And Shaquille. You have a lot to promote because you're fucking everywhere. So yeah, dude, I'm, go I'm, ahead. I'm, busy, I'm a man about town now, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, you can find me on social media at Shaq Excellence. That's S-H-A-K Excellence. You can find me mostly on oneofus.net where I occasionally appear on the Screener Squad, which is like the VOD slash smaller release reviews, and also on Eye of the Prize, which is our award season podcast. And we're also doing now a lot of like best picture retrospectives, seeing whether what stuff holds up. We just recently did one for Casablanca, which, t- for the record, totally holds up and also you can find me over on talk film society on the show sequels that's s-e-e-q-u-e-l-s where we talk a lot about direct-to-video sequels a lot of them are good and a lot of them are terrible the most recent one that we did at at, i'm assuming by the time this episode comes out is i'll always know what you did last summer which is fucking garbage I will say um, yes. I, I'm a big fan of sequels. I, I've been listening to the episodes, and I think it's all you and uh, Sarah Sorrentino, who is a former college buddy of mine. I think you and which is the smallest fucking world possible. I know. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, and Alejandro Gonzalez. I think the three of you are really fun together, and um, especially your whole thing about the hash slinging slasher in comparison <laughs> to uh, the the killer from Always, <laughs> what you did last yeah. summer. <laughs> oh, also one last thing. Uh, I'm participating in Extra Life, which is like a 24-hour gaming stream for charity. If you guys would like to donate, uh, just search my page. I pu- I'll put a bunch of links to it. And I might be ingesting hot sauce on like a live stream on November 3rd if I get enough money. So get drive up them, them dollars, though. Dude, we're talking like... You know that show Hot Ones on YouTube? Yes. It's like the hottest sauce that they have. I have a bottle. Oh. I'm saving it for the stream. Oh. <laughs> it's for a good cause to see Shaquille just wider than pain, but also, I guess, charity. Yeah, it's, it's it's to raise money for children's hospitals. But mainly to see Shaquille just eat that hot sauce. That's the main <laughs> goal. <laughs> yeah, I think that's everything that I have to promote all at once. <laughs> oh, oh, man, so much. Uh, well, <laughs> we also have our little rinky-dink uh, Facebook and Twitter page um, at, <laughs> at DEDBpod. And you can also email us with feedback at uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. Uh, I am also on Twitter on my own at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do reviews over at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com. Recently did a review of the new Halloween film that should be up uh, right now. Um, I had things to say. There's a lot of things uh, to yeah. say. Um, and Adam is in the ether, mostly on this show. Yeah, 100%. 
<laughs> He's more of like a ghost in the walls, like the haunting. That's... I'm a question mark wrapped inside of an enigma. Yes, that he is. I like it. And also, please make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review the show to give us more visibility, because uh, we love hearing that, and we love hearing your feedback, and we love doing this show, even when we have to do stuff like The Haunting. But, until next time, everybody, uh, let's go ahead and reek back into the corridors, and happy Halloween, everybody. Yay! It's <laughs> 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 a spooky. Wow! Happy Halloween! Wow! <laughs> Good night, everybody.